Simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Lynn Carson with a PhD in grain sciences. Sharing knowledge and helping you grow connections. You're listening to the Baked in Science Podcast. Welcome to this episode of Baked in Science. Today, we'll be talking about fiber in bread and its challenges. My name is Lynn Carson, founder and CEO of Bakerpedia. At Bakerpedia, we believe in sharing knowledge. View our shared knowledge base at bakerpedia.com. Before we start, I'd like to thank our sponsor, MGP. Founded in 1941, MGP is the largest U.S. supplier of specialty wheat proteins and starches. Combining innovation with trusted experience and expertise, MGP is dedicated to providing customers with highly functional and nutritional ingredients that align with current and future consumer trends. For more information on MGP's fiber products, go to mgpingredients.com. Today, our guest is Jim Little. Hi, Jim. Hey, Lynn. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. You are currently a baker, right? What and where are you working? I am a baker. I'm a uh, vice president of innovation in a company called Craftmark based in Indianapolis. We've been baking for about 25 years professionally. Jim, what moves you to continue with your passion in bread and baking? You know, I, I like to do it for two main reasons. One is just the, the chasing after perfection. I always love, like to improve things. I just love the magic of bread in particular, the, when it comes out of the oven. There's just something that really you know, resonates with me personally, the, the smell, the taste. Um, it just, I think it, it gets into your blood from an early age, you know, learning how to bake from, from parents and grandparents. So I think there's, there's an emotional connection, but I also just like to continue to improve products that I'm developing. I've been working with you since we met at uh, Wendy's New Bakery. Um, prior to that, you've had some experience um, in the industry. Can you share with our listeners what you have previously done? As a, uh, you started out as an artisan baker, didn't you? Yeah, I originally wanted to, to be a pastry chef and was working in the in the artisan baking part of the industry in a company called Corner Bakery in Chicago and worked on mostly on sweet goods at the time but also some sourdough breads and about midway through the career um, prior to me meeting you was working um, uh, went to AIB and uh, went uh, learned a little bit more about commercial baking and started working with some of the larger industrial bakers and, and ingredient companies that were supplying to them so I've touched a little bit of everything in baking, um, but uh, mostly mostly bread and flatbread and some, some sweet goods. What is it about industrial baking that keeps you in this particular niche? Well, certainly, you know, the, the customers that, that we work with are the best of the best, so very large customers, very professional, and they're very demanding. So just meeting those specifications, I think, sometimes we can, can become a real technical challenge, and those challenges motivate me. Um, there's always a better way to do things and to have more control of your process 
and over your ingredients and then also your people. Have you heard about the recent FDA regulations on fiber? And would this affect um, a lot of bakers in the industry right now? Yeah, you know, I've been reading about it lately, and it does seem a little bit concerning. You know, in my understanding that the FDA um, evaluated some of the most commonly used fibers that were being used in baking, and they've, they've at least temporarily narrowed the list to a much smaller list that can actually be declared as contributing to fiber for nutritional purposes. So I think there, there will be some, some people in the industry that are going to be affected. Um, we personally won't be because we're, we're not currently producing fiber breads or ones that are, we're trying to get a excellent source of fiber claim. Uh-huh. But if you're if you're using some of those fibers that are at least temporarily disallowed, it might cause you to have to reach for some alternatives. And I understand from talking to some of the vendors recently that they have petitions in, um, you know. But the FDA is very slow to move and respond to those petitions, particularly uh, on oat fiber is the one that I know there's um, some being work being done to get it to be, you know, added to the allowed list again for. For nutritional purposes. Correct. Everybody seems to favor oat fiber a lot, and um, I think that's a petition going on right now to add that into um, uh, part into um, being allowed into the fiber regulations. Jim, what is your experience and or the biggest challenges in high fiber baking? Well, I think that the biggest challenges that I've had were some of the adjustments that I had to make to the formula. Um, you know, the two main types of fiber that, that I've worked with that I think most bakers work with are either ones that come in along with the ingredients that they're handling. So it might be the fiber that's present in whole wheat flour, for example, that would be intrinsic fiber. And then there's the fiber that you're adding for some sort of functional benefit, either for nutrition or to modify texture. And, and both of those types of fiber that I've worked with most, most often tend to absorb a lot of water. Yeah, um, and so one I, and one particular fiber actually absorbs more more water than another. So when you go when you switch between fibers, it, you have to really adjust for the water absorption, right? Absolutely. Right. Um, you know, some of them are, are absorb a lot more than others, and you know, along with that comes some other problems. Like you might have your mold inhibitor set up for a certain amount of water in the formula, mm-hmm. and then. You know, if you don't adjust that properly, you could have increased risk of mold. And also, all that extra water and the, extra, and the fiber itself can dilute the formula and the breads can taste a little bit flat. Um, so you may have to adjust other ingredients like salt or sugar or any flavors that are being added to make up for it. Is, is that why high fiber products taste like cardboard? I think that's one of the reasons for sure. You know, there's... there's <laughs> A, a lot of flavor that's being contributed by the flour itself um, and browning and other things that, that can tend to be diluted and, and or you know, depressed a little bit by the presence of that much water. Yeah, that's, that's true. What is your biggest successful product with a high fiber um, theme to it? Uh, did you develop a technique uh, that you can use with high fiber baking? Yeah, I think my biggest success and the product that I was happiest with, um, it, we weren't going out necessarily after a high fiber claim. Uh, but the, the, the 
a modifiber kind of came along for the ride. It was a, a low carb pretzel, uh-huh. and and there was certainly many different types of fiber in that. You know, probably the main one that we were using was a resistant starch. And I think one of the reasons why that was so successful in that formula is because resistant starch doesn't tend to absorb as much water as some other fibers. And that is um, true. Yeah. You know, and it tends to it tends to mimic some of the texture attributes of standard bread flour more than let's say something like, you know, guar gum or xanthan gum. You know, they they certainly absorb water and they can hold water in a dough, but they have more of that kind of gummy or chewy or viscous kind of kind of attribute on your palate. Interesting. And uh, and it was a it was a really great product, and unfortunately, we were a little bit late on the curve. So as soon as we had it developed and ready to roll out, the the overall demand for low carb products really dropped dramatically, and we sold a little bit of it, but it never really took off the way we were expecting. Well, I hope you shelve that formula somewhere because I think the uh, low carb craze comes back every five years or so. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> take it out of your file folder and just produce another low carb, you know, pretzel next time. Well, next time any of our bakers have any questions on low carb pretzel, they can approach Jim Little, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, are these the um, soft pretzels or the pretzel sticks? These were soft pretzels. Oh, okay. They were actually they were actually filled, so it was a co-extruded pretzel that, that had different different actually. fillings. <laughs> um, so my other question is, what kind of fiber have you used in the past besides resistant starch? Well, certainly, like we discussed earlier, really, I've worked with oat fiber, um, CMC, and HPMCs. I've also worked with inulin. Mm-hmm. And there's also some new ones, um, or at least ones that people are less familiar with, like bamboo fiber and sugar beet fiber, and have played a little bit with coffee bean fiber. So I have a question on those. Why would someone use bamboo or sugar beet or coffee bean fiber? Because that really sounds expensive to me. I mean, are there any nutritional benefits to these? Well, uh, I think sometimes... It's a case of the fiber industry doing a good sales job and getting people at least interested in, in exploring them. Uh-huh. Um, so some of these are essentially waste products. Oh, so in the case of in true. the case of sugar beets, um, there's some application to convert them into ethanol um, in terms of using cell- cellulases and breaking it down. But for the most part, the fiber in sugar beets, you know, once they extract the the uh, sugar itself, it's it's a byproduct. Um, same thing with coffee bean fiber. I think these are niche ingredients here in the U.S. They're not very widespread, and I'm I'm not sure that bamboo fiber really has a a lot of economical place in the U.S. market. It might make more sense, um, you know, elsewhere in the world. Right. You know, Jim, I particularly think that the newer fibers like resistant starch are very functional and helpful to the high fiber trends right now. Um, have you used resistant starch? I have. And, and uh, you know, I definitely was a fan of the way it functions in the dough. And, and one thing that I liked in particular was that because I didn't have to add so much extra water, mm-hmm. um, it was a little easier to hit a fiber claim. Um, sometimes it becomes a... Uh, say a dog chasing its tail where you add the fiber but because you have to hydrate it so dramatically 
you don't really get as much delivery in the dough as you expected to have. Um, so it becomes a little more expensive than, than, than what you might think. Um, I would say that, you know, my only more recent concern about resistant starch is just where it will net out in terms of the FDA and, and what they allow for nutrition purposes. Right. Um, but I'm expecting, you know, that, you know, it'll, it'll find its way onto the list at some point. Um, but right now, I think psyllium and some other ones that are on the list, people might, out of necessity, migrate to using those. But I, I think resistant starch, you know, if you're not making a fiber claim based on it, but you want to have lower glycemic index or you just want to have just low carb in general, I think it's real, it's still a great product. And um, I think it's got a, a good place in the industry for sure. Yeah, you're right. And for our listeners who don't really know what resistant starch is, you can actually type in resistant starch on Wikipedia and it'll bring you to our page that really breaks down the four kinds of resistant starch that are available for you to use in your formulation and where they come from. So, Jim, let's take a break from all this talk about resistant starch to thank our sponsor, MGP. MGP is the innovative producer of FiberSim. FiberSim is a non-GMO verified RS4 type starch. So why not just use any fiber? Well, in a Kansas State University study, FiberSim has shown a significant reduction in glucose response. So you're right, Jim. And if you're formulating for a low glycemic bakery product, why not give FiberSim a try? You can ask for a sample today by sending an email to sales at mgpingredients.com. There are a few more things um, on this podcast that I'd like to cover, Jim. Uh, how about the top five important attributes um, that we can get from using fiber? Sure. Yeah, I, mean, I think for me, the, the top five attributes, you know, first and foremost, would be why are you adding the fiber? Because I think the reason why you're adding it is going to be dictating what type of fiber you work with, and, and uh, that could be either supplementation, it could be other benefits, like you mentioned, uh, having a lower glycemic index, or other functional attributes. You know, fibers are also used to modify texture. So, you know, some bakers do try to actually add to water in the dough. I mean, they, they, it helps bind up water. Um, and it may also help uh, give you a shorter bite or crispiness. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, that, I think those functional attributes are also uh, another reason. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I think probably the number two on my list would be making sure that you hydrate them properly. So, you know, if you're, if you're not adding enough water, um, inevitably the fiber is going to compete for water and, and it, it will be starving the other functional ingredients in the dough for water. So, for example, your gluten or, you know, your, your dough conditioner might, might actually not be able to be as well hydrated or, right. or, would you actually mix longer if you don't hydrate it enough because the gluten hasn't developed? Yeah, I think that's a tendency okay. uh, because the, the, the bakers will feel that the, the dough is not developed enough, so they, they may actually be mixing and over-mixing the dough. Correct. And the, 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 the answer may be just to hydrate it properly and actually reduce mix a little bit. So um, um, in that line of questioning, let me ask you something. For a baker who has baked a long time and they use this new product that messes around with their water absorption, 
how would a baker know if it's properly hydrated or you know fully hydrated or overhydrated? What's 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 your tip for that? Well, I think sometimes it starts by walking through the whole process and seeing observing the changes that happen in the dough, because if it's underhydrated, sometimes you will tend to see the dough looks okay at the beginning. And then as it goes through the process, starts looking drier and maybe be breaking down on the equipment. Uh-huh. So it's just be it's being familiar with your processing and seeing those changes in the dough. Uh-huh. Um, I, th- I think you can also, um, you know, if you have access to it, you can also certainly use a, a phrenograph or a mixograph and note the curves. And if you don't have access to those equipment, certainly you could partner with with someone who does either an external lab or That's Kansas true. State. I've worked so with a lot in would- the past. So would you, you would you actually put the fiber and the flour into the phrenograph? Yeah, I think you could do that. You okay. know, the, the standard phrenograph certainly excludes other functional ingredients, but I've done certain projects where you can you you have a, a known curve and then you add your functional ingredients and you can see, you know, what's happening. Um, is the dough breaking down more quickly than it should? Right. Or is it, is it or is it developing to a peak? That's a great idea, and I believe um, places like AIB and the Weed Marketing Center would have services like that 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 bakeries could use. They do, and the services are very affordable. They have the standard test methodology, uh-huh. but certainly you can you can work with them and develop a, a customized test. It just you know it, anytime you depart from a standard AACC methodology, you have to be a little bit careful um, because the, you don't there aren't as many knowns. But I've done that successfully in the past. Another important tip that I would like you to cover is um, how do you offset potential problems like overdosing of enzymes when you uh, formulate for a high-fiber product? Sure, that's a good segue. That was actually my number three on my list of, uh, of important attributes of fiber. I mean, I think one thing in general is that as you add more water in a dough, you're going to add some extra water with fiber no matter what. Um, you have to be really careful to to adjust your enzymes down um, because the tendency is that they will take longer to denature during the baking process. Um, oh. You know, that exact amount is certainly a little bit of a trial and error, but I've seen a lot of people um, take a standard dough and just keep the same exact enzyme system, especially the freshness enzymes, and they wind up uh, having a lot of issues with gumminess and overdosing because there's just uh, it takes longer to get the dough up to that to that temperature to to denature the enzymes. Okay. How about cost? Are you what are you what were you doing to help with the cost of the product when you're using fiber? Well, one thing that I've seen with with adding fiber is that you do tend to to have to go up on your gluten requirements. Correct. I, I think that one thing you can do to minimize that is is you can work with your dough conditioning system. There's some some great um, you know xylanases and xylanase based dough conditioners that can help dough development. Um, another thing that I've seen people do more in the cracker industry, but I think they're starting to learn a little bit about this in in the in the bread part of the industry is to also work with cellulases to break down some of that fiber. So that it's it's still there and it's still functional, but it's not uptaking as much water in the dough, and then you don't have to add quite as much gluten when you do that. Oh, that is a great tactic. 
um, to use. Yeah, because a lot of the bakers out there um, to in order to get more volume out of the high fiber product, they really do add a lot of gluten. So adding a cellulase might work in cutting down gluten. So that's a great tip, thanks. Um, one last thing, how do we improve the flavor of a high fiber product? Cause you said it tasted like cardboard, right? Well, I think one thing is to certainly look at what you're doing with fermentation. So if, if you're using a, a sponge and dough system or some sort of oh, ferment right. system, uh, maybe increasing the amount of flour that's in the ferment right. so that you can get more of a fermentation flavor. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of great natural flavors out there, both um, bio-fermented flavors where they're actually making a sourdough or a, or a sponge. That's and true. Yeah, they have, they have sourdough flavors that taste like beef and cheese and all the other variety of savory um aspects to it so yeah that's that's a great idea by using um natural ferments right you call them yeah absolutely and then just on a really simple level just making sure that you have enough salt because i think bakers are myself included are guilty of always thinking at baker's percent so they always think two percent salt on on flour weight but when you have a more complicated system with other ingredients I think you have to also look at true percent, correct, and just make sure make sure that your your total salt in the dough hasn't dropped too low. I mean, obviously, if you're making a reduced sodium claim, you have to be careful about that as well. But I think sometimes uh, high fiber beds just are lacking in in salt, and that's causing it to taste flat. Correct, and and that's what I usually recommend to bakers as well when you go into whole grains and high fiber to really look at the total percentage than rather baker's percent. What true total percentage of um, the formula needs to be salt? What do you think? What's your experience in that? I mean, off the top of my head, you know, sometimes it's around 1 or 1.1. 1. 1, um, okay. but, but what I see sometimes is that on the, on the flour percentage level, you see some salt levels that seem kind of extreme, like 3% or more, yeah. and it's really actually not that far off just because you have – a, a lot of other ingredients in that's the dough. true right will that affect mixing times at all um certainly if you have the wrong amount yes but i think you, as long as you have your true percent of salt to be in line with the standard bread it, it should be okay great i see some interesting work being done um, in the industry right now that targets whole grains and high fiber for bakers. Do you have any last thoughts on this, Jim? Well, I think my last thoughts on it is that at the end of the day, if the, if the bread or baked product doesn't taste good, the, there will not be repeat business. Even if somebody has a motivator to eat it because they think it's good for them, they really have to, they really have to enjoy it. Otherwise, they're only going to buy it once or twice, and then they're going to go on to something else. So I think we always have to do a reality check on ourselves as we're developing products and make sure that we're not just hitting numbers, um, that we can validate that the consumers really like it and and not use like what we call a golden palette, you know, where there's right. experts on our team where we say, yeah, this is good. And then meanwhile, we hand it to the consumers and they're like, no, we don't like this and we're not going to we're not going to buy it again. That's true so we need to focus on making something that tastes good not just works well 
Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for stopping by today, Jim. Here's the last word from our sponsor. Want to add a minimum of 85% total dietary fiber content to your bakery products? Give MGP's FiberSim a try. This resistant wheat starch can provide higher water absorption as well as reduce mix time. Yes, you heard that right. Less, not more mixing. MGP's technical team is prepared to help you commercialize your next high fiber product. Contact them at 866-547-2122 today. Till the next episode, bakers, keep baking it great. Till the next episode, bakers, keep baking it great. Till the next episode, bakers, keep baking it great.